The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Sex Lives, the New York Magazine sex podcast. I'm New York Magazine sex columnist Maureen O'Connor, and this week's topic is one I've been really excited for. It is a tour of the wild, strange, and strangely controversial sex toy industry, guided by the hosts of Bloomberg's Material World podcast, who are joining me in studio today. And those hosts are Bloomberg retail reporter Lindsay Rupp. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. And also Bloomberg beverage, tobacco, and cannabis reporter Jennifer Kaplan. Thank you for having us on. Yeah. So tell me, you guys, how did the idea of talking about the sex toy industry come up for your podcast? We actually had a a friend who works on the tech team at Bloomberg who Mm -hmm. was writing a story about tech in this sort of industry. And, you know, she was learning all these interesting facts and really going deep into the topic. And we thought like, hey, that's that's really interesting. It's a big business. Seems seems like something people should know more about. I mean, as business reporters at a pretty, you know, straight and narrow business publication, is approaching sex different than other topics for you guys? It definitely felt different for sure. (laughs) And I feel like I cover sometimes some pretty controversial topics like I cover weed, but it felt different and it felt like we needed to make sure that we were really sticking to the business part of this because it's a $15 billion industry in the U.S. It's a big, it's a lot of money. In just the U.S. Yes. So it's a lot of money. There's a big reason to talk about it, but it Mm -hmm. felt like we did definitely have to make sure that we were being pretty straightforward about how we were doing it. Yeah, we wanted to take it seriously as a topic because Mm -hmm. I think it's something that a lot of people laugh about and joke about and don't really give it the attention that maybe it, you know, deserves. Like there are really serious issues that we discovered as we were learning more about it. And it has a really interesting history and we didn't want to be perceived as taking it too lightly because then, you know, other people might brush our episode off. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about that history? You sort of talk about this slow sort of mainstreaming of sex toys. And I was sort of surprised and interested in how sort of unregulated and just wild it was very recently. Yeah. So we talked to Phil Harvey, who founded Adam and Eve, which is one of the biggest sex toy. Well, I guess it's a it's basically any kind of product, sex related product. It's a it's a chain. They do a lot of franchising, but they have more than 60 stores. And they, they do, do like the, porn. They do. Yeah, they make toys. their own porn. Yeah. They do. They make their own toys. They started as a mail order condom business. And actually, that was illegal. The federal government came after them. So when was that? That was in 1970. So Phil Harvey is selling condoms through the mail Mm -hmm. and they, you know, he expands it into a catalog and he's using the profits from this business actually to fund family planning in third world countries. Mm -hmm. So this is illegal. And, you know, the government comes after him and he, he ends up defending his business, you know, under free speech guidelines. And it's, you know, it's years and years of legal battles with the government Mm -hmm. just, just to exist, just for this kind of story exist. And then you fast forward a little bit into the 90s when things are a little more culturally open, but it's still a very, you know, male-driven industry. And and some of the products, you know, we talked with the founder of of Bayland, Claire Cavanaugh, and she said some of the products she would tell people, put a condom on that. The colors can come off. They're not well made. So uh, it's just literally not actually made to be put in a body because right. no one's keeping track. No one's keeping track of there it. Were no, and there were no real guidelines. I mean, also, not to mention these stores weren't necessarily places that Claire said she would want to go into. I mean, she, right. they founded Babeland because they wanted to, to have a place where women actually would want to go and shop and 
see these kinds of products in a way that felt right to them. It's sort of the switch from when sex toys are part of like the bachelor party gag gift to actually like functional consumer products that serve a really specific purpose, it sounds like. Right, because previously oversight of this extended to basically the government trying to maintain decency laws. You know, Mm -hmm. they weren't looking out for your safety as a consumer or your health. Interesting. Are are sex toys regulated now by anybody? I don't think that they're regulated by, like, materials Materials, used. I don't think that the materials used are regulated, but— I'm not 100% sure on that fact. Yeah, because when we were talking with Dame, they were saying that they dealt with a lot of regulation in terms of advertising and and raising funds, but uh, they didn't mention any kind of FDA regulation or or anything like that. That is so crazy to me. Of all things that, like, (laughs) if you're going to, you know, regulate, like, medical-grade silicone and stuff like that, that strikes me as a product that would also have a public interest in what what it's I would say that I think that... Consumers themselves are demanding more True. in terms of that. Like, I think that people are probably paying more attention to the materials of the products they're buying. So they would look for like medical grade silicone yeah. and things like that. Yeah. And at Babeland, you can get, you know, lube that doesn't have like certain chemicals in it or mm-hmm. properties. So I think it is something that people are paying more attention to, but it's certainly not, uh, I don't think it's a highly regulated yeah. uh, area. When you bring up Babeland, one part of your interview with, was it Claire, the Babeland um, Mm -hmm. founder, was so interesting to me was how she describes taking the sort of sleaze factor from the novelty sex toys into an actual consumer-friendly environment. Um, Maybe we can play that clip and then we can talk about it a little. Sure. The mainstream sex stores at the time and even now have this aura of shame around them and it was mainly about like feminism, really. I mean, mm-hmm. they just treat women like objects. And I really took that personally and <laughs> just wanted to explore like sexual agency for women. So we wanted it to be different. So we took all the packaging off of the toys and then displayed them without the basically quasi pornographic kind of imagery, like explicit airbrushed women. What I understood my friends wanting and me wanting just didn't exist, you know, not in those stores and not anywhere that I knew of. We made the place we would shop in. Do you think that the industry in general is changing? I mean, like, do you think that the way that people see sex toys has evolved? Yes, definitely. We've been at this for about 24 years and early on. It was like I was describing the packaging. The toys within the packaging were also low quality. I mean, they're they're fine. We sold them. People had orgasms with them probably and had fun. But there wasn't a lot of technology or, or like real innovation going into them because they were shameful to have. You know, I mean, it used to be like a, a cylinder of plastic with a vibrator in the end or in the middle. And then the C batteries would go in the end. And that was the best you could do for like an internal vibrator that was basically safe to use. But the way that we sold them and the information that we gave out and the sort of atmosphere of openness that we created, I think made up for the quality of toys. And now there's no reason to make up for it. The quality is fantastic. It's so funny because it's almost as though the early manufacturers just didn't even know who they were selling to or how to market. Because what she's actually describing is you remove the product from all of the marketing and material that this company thinks makes it appealing because what makes it appealing is not what they think. 
Well, they were really appealing to the consumer who probably was buying at that point. I yeah. mean, it was mostly men. The okay. people we talked to, Adam and Eve and Babeland, really emphasized how those demographics have changed. And now, especially if you're buying online, more and more women are the people who are really buying these products. That's interesting. Why is the online marketplace so much more appealing to women in particular? I think there's still a taboo. It's still you walk into a sex store, there's a feeling that it's kind of in shadow. It's something Mm -hmm. that I think people feel like maybe they should be ashamed of that. Yeah, Uh, I mean, someone can see you walking into that sex store, whereas online, you know, nobody knows that you're looking at this stuff. It's discreet when it comes to your house and its box. It's, you know, you can also, the internet's allowed women to learn more about these products and what they can achieve with them and, mm-hmm. and what options are available to them, like that they can have fun when they have sex, too, or they can have fun on their own. And they previously, you know, there, were, there weren't a lot of ways to find that out. Yeah. I mean, I think when I bought my first vibrator, I think I was in college and I got it from Babeland. Which I remember, I don't know how I even knew what Babeland was. Very trendy right? of you. But like, I just like somehow, like, like some like periphery sense was like, there is a place where one can buy this product. And what I also remember was that then I went on YouTube just to see if there were any videos of it, like, so I could see how much it was vibrating, which is such a funny, like, specific to that. I don't know if, like, even a mail order catalog would have been convincing to me because I sort of wanted to, like, see what it actually was without having to walk into a store. And Babeland, you know, that's why they take it out of their packaging so that you can touch it and turn it on and see sort of what it does. And also because I just didn't live in a place that had sex toy stores, I think, at that moment. So it was like, even if I was, like, going to get the nerve up to walk into something like that at, like, age 18, which, like, of course I wasn't. Um, right. I if you're 18, couldn't. you're going in with, like, a bunch of friends to, like, giggle at all the stuff in there. You're not going to actually be yeah. to educate yourself as a consumer. Although I wonder if kids do that now. In college, I uh, lived next door. My apartment was, like, down the street from this store called Max XXX, you know. <laughs> and uh, we always joked, like, we're going to go in. We're going to go in. Like, before we graduate, we're going to go yeah. I mean, I was a senior, and I we never went in. You never went we in? Even, we even went into the parking lot, and we were like, wow, the trucks out front are really—the people going in are creepy. Yeah. Large men, and I—no. <laughs> well, it's that thing of, like, the—when you're so afraid to try something because you just don't know, like, what it's going to be like. Yeah. And you're just like, what if there are people there and they talk to me? <laughs> Could be really terrifying. Whereas Babeland, you know, they have events that where they have Prosecco. Like I went for the yeah. for the show. I went to Babeland to a gosh, it was on sensual massage. So I went uh-huh. to a workshop they were having, and it's couples of all different ages. It's friends. It's people of all different races. I mean, it's like so inclusive. They're so nice. They want to help you have a good time. They're yeah. like really good at using sex positive language, making you feel comfortable. It's such a different experience. But they're limited, too, by, like, the messaging that they can have. So in their, mm-hmm. if you walk by a Babeland, their windows, you know, they don't have sex toys in the window. Are they not allowed to? Well, so they have different deals with their landlords, but oh, for the most part, you know. So it's the landlord, not, like, the city regulating. Right. I mean, I think that there are probably some regulations in terms of what, I mean, you know, because kids walk by yeah. the street, too. And do you really want that? It's so wild to me because that comparison sort of comes up again and again, particularly in your interviews, Jenny, of the cannabis industry of like investors are just warming up to this. People are just getting used to it, which is insane to me because cannabis isn't even legal in most states still. Sex is not only legal, it is literally necessary for like all of America, for civilization (laughs) to exist. How could that be so much creepier to people? Yeah, it's it was really fascinating for me to to hear about this. But 
Babeland and the founders of Dame Products both brought up this comparison to the cannabis industry. And they were both talking about banking. So banking is Uh actually an issue, whether it's raising money or just, you know, using banks for the purposes that businesses do, because it's totally like a reputational thing. You're right. It is sex toy stores are illegal in all 50 states, whereas cannabis just isn't federally (laughs) legal. I mean, that's the problem with cannabis and banking. It's just not federally legal. So if you're insured by the FDIC, you're running a risk if you Mm -hmm. are banking, if you have cannabis clients. But with this, it's really just like people not wanting to be seen as banking for sex toys. Something else they said, yeah, it was like that everybody has baggage when it comes to sex. Everybody has yeah. like their own personal baggage, whereas you might not have that same baggage with cannabis or you might not have like a, for lack of a better term, an ick, you know, an ick factor. Yeah. You don't literally like blush every time you hear the word marijuana necessarily. Right. right. It's also with the the Dame Products women, they were saying that a lot. they'll walk into a room of investors and if it's all men, they'll be like, oh, well— you know, our wives don't need this. <laughs> I, I don't oh, right. This yeah. Oh, right. Exactly. And it's like, okay. <laughs> cool. Let's ask the wife. Uh, <laughs> one strange question. Do you guys know, why do we call them sex toys? Do you know the genesis of that sort of why that is like the accepted term? Like, why is it not a sex accessory? Or hmm. like, we would never be like, that's a tobacco toy. We're referring to the many, many different tobacco products that exist in this world and the accessories necessary. Probably to use a good them. thing, considering what <laughs> the risks with tobacco. But I don't really know, to be honest. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, people would use it pretty interchangeably with vibrator. But vibrator... were you guys just talking about vibrator specifically with like that, like one point five billion? Yes, fifteen billion. Sorry. That was just sex toys overall. But I and I think that that meant that included like all, all sorts or... of all things, products. yeah. Couldn't everything, anything be a sex toy, really? Really? I mean, the sex toy industry, the whole (laughs) economy of the world. I mean, (laughs) that it's definitely bigger than $15 billion. Yes. Now, that is an interesting question that uh, that I really don't know the answer to. I mean, one thing that Phil Harvey said when we were talking to him is that he's seen more women get more interested in buying vibrators. And I mean, I don't know. I kind of wonder if like a man buying a product to use for sexual pleasure would he refer to it as his sex toy maybe it is a gender thing i don't know i don't know it's strange we we kind of switched it up and at some points we're calling them adult products depending on it got hard to find a synonym for vibrator or sex toy it's yeah right pleasure device (laughs) were you also including sex toys for men in that yes the sort of all of it i guess the the 15 billion dollar industry yeah yes and what about The role that those, you know, like fleshlights and that kind of thing plays in terms of, you know, the gradual mainstreaming of it or the growth in the market. Did you find that that sort of tracked alongside female sex toys? Most of our reporting really focused on the women Mm -hmm. part of things. I mean, that was really the demographic that the Dame Products people and the Babeland people and Adam and Eve all cited as as a main reason for growth is really women and women feeling more comfortable advocating for themselves and their own pleasure and actually purchasing these products with a partner or alone or for whatever reason they're Mm -hmm. using them. So do you know what the demographic breakdown actually is in terms of like the amount of the market share that's women versus men or how that shifted? So we don't have that stat for the overall market. I mean, for the different retailers, it, yeah. it changes. So, I mean, we can look those up for you. We could email them to you. Mm-hmm. For, like, Adam and Eve, it still skews more male, although he's seen a ton yeah. more women. And that's probably part of the way, you know, it probably varies by place, too. Yeah, I would imagine. Um, Babe Land skews female. They have a lot of couples who shop there, actually. I think it was, like, 
mostly couples. I think it was like fifty percent couples. It might be the thing where you just need like a buddy to like get your energy up when you're entering a store like that. That there's some part of you that you're like, if I go by myself, it'll be weird. I don't know what. What if something bad? I don't know what people are like. And then I'm like, can anything bad happen when I enter a store by myself? Like, yeah. If it's awkward and embarrassing, nobody saw it. I don't know those people. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, to your prior question about you know male sex toys, you know, I would, while I don't have the stat in front of me, it would make sense that those would track alongside each other because anecdotally from what we heard from the store owners, they were saying that as women become more empowered and women make more of these purchasing decisions, you know, men are really excited about that too because it's like, oh, hey, we're going to have a good time together Mm -hmm. and they feel more empowered to take control of their half of it also. Yeah. Jenny, I'm wondering, how do you find that um, we talked about a little bit about the comparison to the cannabis industry because you sort of cover all of the vice industries or several of them at least between not all but alcohol tobacco right like how <laughs> does the sex toy industry track against other sort of quote-unquote vice industries I don't technically cover the sex toy industry I don't yeah I don't think that we have a reporter at Bloomberg mm-hmm. who does but if we did it would be interesting what sort of category it would fall under because kind of like how you were wondering where the name sex toy comes from. I mean, is it a wellness device? Mm -hmm. Is it technology? Is it—I don't know if calling it a vice really makes all that much sense. I mean, that's kind of like the trend that people are moving away from. It's the reason why it's growing so much and the reason why it's becoming so much more mainstream is because it's more and more seen— as something that's kind of part of health rather than being this, like, scary vice thing. Among my, like, sex life hacks has been the discovery that you can buy 100% of your sex products through Amazon, which oh, is, yeah. like, once again, right, online, mail order. Like, there are literally a crazy number there are hundreds. of sex products yeah. on Amazon. Because I do all, like, condoms that way and stuff now because I'm like, I just don't even want to take the risk of, like, somebody— grosso person at like the Dwayne Reed like taking an eyeball and I'm like I can't even take this no but you can (laughs) buy some of this stuff at the Dwayne Reed or the Target or the Walmart I mean Mm. it's not like the most high quality products but the fact that you can get get a low quality vibrator at a Target or a Dwayne Reed is you know that's pretty incredible cool they always did have electric toothbrushes though good point (laughs) but the funny thing I've always noticed is that when you look buy these things on Amazon that's like half of them are in the health and wellness section half of them are in like I don't know, personal electronics, or like they're just sort of in every single category. I think it's confusing. I mean, they fit in all these different categories in some ways. I don't know that people would just associate yeah. them with vice, but at the same time, like, of course they would. Like, it's sex and drugs, like, uh-huh. and drinking. That's like what vice is. Yeah. <laughs> Everything so, that's just like really fun, but we don't let children do. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I never thought about what the definition of that would be. But in terms of, like, growth, is that what you're saying in terms of tracking alongside the other oh, vices? yeah, or in terms of growth or in terms of squeamishness or banks and that kind of stuff? Well, I think what Lindsay was saying is really true, which is people, everyone has personal baggage that comes with sex. Mm-hmm. People may have baggage that comes with the time they got too drunk. They don't want to drink tequila because they got too drunk on it in, high, in college or they— yeah you know, have a bad memory of smoking too many cigarettes or whatever it is. But for some reason, it's not quite as personal as the baggage that people have with sex. I mean, if it's such a huge industry, I mean, are these banks and these investors just missing out then when they feel squeamish and they don't want to be connected to it? 
For sure. I mean, it's clear that there's money out there and available. I mean, Dame products, they raised through Indiegogo. Mm -hmm. um, so they just went directly to their consumer. But, you know, we've heard that banks who turn who turn these companies down, there are smaller regional banks who are willing to take these clients on. But even if you won't let someone, I mean, Babeland said it felt like our bank was breaking up with us. We'd been with the bank for 10 years. We do normal banking, small business lending with them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and then they get dropped out of nowhere. So I think it is definitely it's a challenge more for the companies than it is for the banks because if you're a major bank this is not a company you were doing a lot of business with anyway it's not a super lucrative account it's probably no skin off your back to lose that client you have everything to gain in terms of your reputation but I think that there are going to be more investors who are willing to put money behind these products mm -hmm. and behind these companies because there's clearly demand there the question will be sort of who's willing to put themselves out there and, and, and do it and, and how much money will they be willing to, to put out there. Did you look at all at the sort of early companies that were creating products that were sort of repurposed as sex toys? Like Hitachi Magic Wand is, of course, the classic example of the ones that they weren't actually calling it a sex toy, but it was. I mean, did you trace any of that sort of corporate histories? We didn't really. Yeah. We talked about that kind of in terms of we were picking Sex in the City clips that we wanted to use yeah. and we were going to use the Thumper one that, mm -hmm. where Samantha goes in and tries to buy a Thumper and calls it a vibrator and whatever. But um, we didn't really like go back and, and trace those kinds of companies. Yeah. But to your point, you know, that $15 billion number, it might not be a hugely accurate picture of the full size of the market if there are still products that people are using that aren't maybe sold for that purpose. Yeah. All those washing machines. Yeah, mm -hmm. seriously. Also, in terms of uh, our investors missing out, this is also our reporting showed it's a big opportunity abroad, too. I mean, apparently there are a lot of investors and consumers who are really interested in these products across Asia and other places around the world, too, where perhaps they don't quite have the puritanical roots that we have here. Mm. Tell me more about Phil Harvey. So Phil is 78, and he founded uh, Adam and Eve as a, originally as a mail-order condom business when he had just finished uh, public health school. He was getting his master's in, uh, at UNC in Chapel Hill, and he starts this business that grows into one of the biggest you know, sex toy, sex, sex stores uh, in the U.S., so like a lot of his fights with the government were, I mean, it was North Carolina. So North mm -hmm. Carolina was like super conservative and they're like, we don't want an Adam and Eve here. Or that was kind of crazy. Or the fact that he gives away so much of his profit still to nonprofits that, that provide family planning services in the third world. It's like. That's incredible. Buy a sex toy and give another person a condom. So he entered this sort of world through public health, essentially. Yeah. Yes. What does he think now? Sort of looking back and being like, and now I became like the good feeling orgasm guy. Well, that's still where he, where a lot of his profit from the business goes. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, I think he's pretty happy with the way things turned out. And yeah. he was fighting all these First Amendment battles to, to even just make it, to sort of pave the way for these other companies to exist and, and for it to be legal to sell contraceptives via the mail and things like that. So, I think he's probably pretty pleased with his body of work. He's yeah. definitely, uh, yeah. he's got a couple books. Uh-huh. So, after, as you made this or after... Did people start asking you, like, so do you use sex toys? Not a single person has. Yeah, no one's that. asked me that. Yeah, crazy. Or like, did you get cool sex toys from this? Man, maybe that's just my privy. Well, friends. we're not allowed to accept gifts as reporters. Oh. So. Yeah. But the thing <laughs> with the sex toys is that um, unlike 
other things that get like sent and you know you shoot the product or whatever the sex toys don't they don't usually want them back from you no. right like if we like you know like someone has tested like, it yeah yeah someone tests like a hair dryer we send it back to the hair dryer company right the sex toy companies don't want them back so that does actually create a little yeah. journalistic dilemma well that's like the alcohol companies oh like, that makes they sense can't, what are you gonna do nobody's yeah. sending me weed in the mail but <laughs> alcohol companies do send stuff and it's always like our packaged room like has to donate it and it's like. <laughs> Are you expected to have like tasted or smoked things that you write about or it's like such a non-issue because you're just reporting on the business and the industry? Like I, I think it depends on the story. Yeah. Are you asking about like weed particularly? Yeah. Oh, I guess I was just <laughs> curious. A and then B like since Bloomberg is based in New York where it's not legal. Exactly. Weed. So no. Like uh-huh. if I were somewhere where weed were legal, I guess I could sample something that a company was yeah. doing if, if I were. We're covering it or whatever, but because we're based in New York, no, I don't, probably don't get to see all, all do that. the products every single time. Yes, Interesting. largely I don't. With alcohol, I mean, I think that to be an informed reporter, you have to know something about what you're reporting about. So, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that is such a strange dilemma. I suppose there are plenty of industries where you don't necessarily partake in it. Like I'm sure the people writing about like private astronaut expeditions or whatever haven't necessarily rode on the rocket ships themselves. <laughs> yeah, well, I read Although about, they should. Yeah, I read about men's warehouse and I don't wear men's suits. It's fair. Yeah. yeah Journalism. Go. Not yeah. everyone is. But you can talk to people who do. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It is helpful, too, to be on the business side of things because yeah. it's a little more focused. It's not like, which strain of this do I recommend? Yeah, exactly. That makes sense. Yeah. If you were a weed reviewer based in New York, that would be a problem. problem. So wait, do you guys have sex? With each other? No. No, Like in life. (laughs) You wrote about sex toys. Do you have sex? Oh, I see. I see how we got here. I see how we got here. (laughs) I mean, I guess I actually talk about my sex life all the time. But very frequently people are like, so do you do every single thing you talk about? And I'm like, absolutely not. It's not even physically possible. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I don't have a penis. How would I ever? <laughs> yeah. You interview people. That is a whole different level of things. Mostly I get asked, do you smoke weed? Yeah. But <laughs> I feel like you must get some really interesting questions. Yeah, but that's like how I generate the show. That's how I generate the <laughs> column by people being like, what? Did you ever try? And I'm like, no, but tell me about what happened to you. <laughs> Well, that's it for Sex Lives this week. Thanks so much to our guests, Lindsay Rupp and Jennifer Kaplan. Their podcast is called Material World, which you can find on iTunes and Bloomberg. Which reminds me, I don't usually do the rate and review plug at the end of our show, but I think I'm going to start because apparently it's important and I don't want New York Magazine to pull the plug on me. So if you enjoy what you hear, please rate and review our show. And regardless of whether or not you like us, you are always welcome to call into our voicemail line at 646-494-3590. So this week, in addition to calling us to talk about sex toys, very special request, my beloved co-host and editor David is not going to be co-hosting this podcast with me anymore. He has one last episode next week, and so I want everyone to call in to ask him every single question about how he's been with one woman since he was 19 years old. People always call in and say that David doesn't talk about himself enough, so this is the time for you to call in and ask him about his love life about meeting his wife at age 19, about the fact that he's currently living in a hotel, and anything else you want to ask David. So call in to 646-494-3590. And next week, we're going to have David and his wife, Risa, 
along with our departed but beloved former co-host, Allison Davis. Call in, ask questions, and you'll hear from that next week. Sex Lives is produced by Sam Dingman and edited by A.C. Valdez. Thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. See you next week, and thanks for listening. <laughs>